Remain standing, if you would, please, as we open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 7. Hebrews chapter 7, and we're going to, I'm sorry, not chapter 7, chapter 6. My apologies. Hebrews chapter number 6. And we've been making our way through this chapter, and we're going to read, um, we're going to read a few verses of Scripture this morning for content, or for context, I'm sorry, starting in verse number 13. Read along with me as I read aloud, if you would, please. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men, verily, swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Father, bless the reading of your word to our hearts. And Father, help us to surrender to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to make a statement before we go into this text, and it's simply this. God is always working in the present. C.S. Lewis, in reference to eternity, likens it to the now. He says, the best way to understand eternity is to understand that it will always be now. Because God does not live in the past, He is never the I was, and He is not occupied so much with the future, He is not the I will be, He is the I am. The term that is used in the uh, the Bible simply is the term of existence. It is our version, we use the word be, the verb to be. In other words, he says, I exist. And what's beautiful about that is since he is never the I was or never the I will be, he is always working in the present. Now, I want you never forget that it was to living people that God spoke. Okay? When we go back into the Old Testament, the people that God was speaking to at that time were living people. When we go into the New Testament, 
And we see the New Testament writers pinning down God's word. We need to understand that it was to living people that he was talking about. Now, if you look into our text for this morning, you're going to notice some Old Testament references made in the New Testament. It is not God speaking to the past as much as reminding the people in the present of what took place in the past for their benefit. The Bible lets us know that the Old Testament was, uh, it was given to us as examples so that we would know how to live and how to follow along uh, uh, what uh, God has for us. If you remember last week, we, uh, we took a look at the uh, uh, second portion of this chapter, and we ended at verse 11 and 12. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. He says, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, I want you to notice that term followers is, is not uh, encouraging people to follow these Old Testament examples as in they are now our uh, God or they are our Messiah or anything along those lines. He's saying imitate them. And so he wants us, he's encouraging us to be imitators of those who in the past saw what God was doing, saw the promises that were made of God, and they maintained faith and patience, and we too can look back at what they've done, back at where they were, back at how their uh, their faith uh, in God brought them to a place where they were able to inherit or receive the promises of God. Now, we want to understand what's going on because while God works in a way that he is uh, speaking to the people in the Old Testament, people in the New Testament, he is speaking to them at a current day and time, again, God is always working in the present, which means that you and I, as we read this text today, are able to apply this to our lives the same way the people that the writer of Hebrews was addressing could have applied it to theirs. Now, God works in ways that is specific to the people that he's talking to. And so there are certain aspects uh, that may never be repeated, and that's okay. For example, Gideon uh, took his 300 men up against over 100,000. That does not mean that if I'm commander of a, of a military uh, uh, body, then, then I'm going to read this and say, well, since God wanted Gideon to only take 300 up against 180,000, then I'm only going to take 300 against the same. That's not the way we apply Scripture, okay? And, but here's the, here is the, the, the deal, though. I may not be able to do exactly what Gideon did, physically speaking, but I can have the same faith that it took. And this is what we want to put into practice. And so, you know, you look back to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Think of the faith that it took. Think of the, uh, of the faith that she had to have in God to go into this situation. There's not going to be another virgin born. That's not going to happen. 
But there can be young ladies that do have faith in God and are able to take what God tells them and follow through on in an act of faith. There, there can be faithful people. This is what we ought to practice. And so if you look with me there in verse number 12 again, it says that ye be not slothful and followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It's important for us to understand that what's going on here with the, with the writer of Hebrews at the very beginning, you remember how we've looked at the whole progression of this message, and this is like a sermon as we read it. He starts off in uh, explaining God and giving us the, uh, the understanding of Jesus being better than. Then he moves on. He shames at the end of chapter 5 leading into chapter 6. He shames the individuals for maintaining immaturity and not pursuing maturity. He says, this is not a good thing. Don't be proud of this. How many times have you heard someone say, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm just not as advanced as some of you? And it's almost like they wear that as a badge of honor. You know, there should be a desire for us to mature in our faith. There should be a desire for us to grow closer and closer and more into the image of Christ. And so he shames this immaturity, but then he not only does that, but he goes into warning against apostasy, turning from Christ. Again, it's important for us to understand what that impossibility is in chapter 6. You have two options. In play, you have Jesus Christ and everything else. And for me to turn my back on Jesus, I have now embraced something that is impossible. There's no possibility for anyone to be able to have a relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ. It's not a possibility. People can try to, well, you know, I, I, I do a lot of good work for people, and I'm sure when I get to, uh, when I get to heaven, I meet, I meet uh, the Jesus there, and, and he says, why should I let you in? I'll be able to look at him, and I'll be able to say, well, it's because of all the good things that I've done. I gave a lot of money to charity. I did a lot of time uh, in missions trips. I, I helped out the poor. I helped out the sick. I helped out the needy. I was there when, uh, when the, the philanthropists were asking for donations. I was there. I was ready. I was helpful. And Jesus will say, that's not the way. It's only through Jesus Christ. Anything else is just uncivilized. So when we look at this and we understand that there was a shaming on immaturity, a warning against uh, uh, apostasy, and then he encourages their faithful, um, uh, affirms their evidences of salvation. He, he now comes to the place where he's trying to encourage their faithful patience in actively awaiting his promises. Let me, let me put it this way. How many of you, uh, when you, you, here you are, you're living your life, everything is going wrong, everything is, you, know, and you may have had just a comfortable life, but you realize that you were a sinner in need of a Savior. And you get saved, and then you start to go through this, uh, uh, this upward growth, and it's like everything is fresh and new, and I'm getting closer and closer to the Lord, and then all of a sudden, bam, I hit something, I trip, Right? And you say, 
Well, God promised to never leave me nor forsake me. But I don't feel as close to him as I once did. Maybe you get into your mind that, well, because of this sin that I just committed, God doesn't want to hear from me today. You see, here's where I really want to kind of come in on. I was uh, uh, had a conversation with a young man not too long ago, and he made the statement to me. He says, I don't feel as guilty as I think I should, so I'm maybe I'm not saved. I feel like I should feel more this way or that way. I I just, I don't know, that, and, and I was listening to him, and I, I, I just simply said this, my friend, you're more focused on you than you are on the one who wants to save you. This is where we need to get things correct. This is where we need to really kind of pull our mind down. And so the question that I kind of wanted to start everything off with today was how can anyone really know for sure? How can anyone really know for sure, right? Now, I'm not going to take you down the road of eternal security. I believe in eternal security. That's not what I'm worried about today. I'm not going to take you down the road of whether or not you said a sinner's prayer once upon a time. (laughs) We may touch on that later. But what I do want to do is I want to give to you what the writer of Hebrews, I believe, is trying to give to the people he's addressing in this passage, where our hope is to be found. Take a look with me, if you would, again in verse number 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he sware by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now, the preacher here encourages them to imitate those who have faithfully and patiently received the promise. That's what we saw back here in verse number 12. And so he goes into uh, an example that is given to us. He notes the promise of God and the patience of Abraham, but he also makes sure that we're aware that there was an oath that was made. I don't know about you, but when I read these kind of things, my hyperactive mind just jumps straight to the question, why in the world would God have to sign a contract? Have you ever thought about it? Is God's word not good enough for him to simply say, this is what I'm going to do? But as you read the life and the the, uh, the story of Abraham, God doesn't just say, this is what I'm going to do, but he also, he, he says, I'm going to sign a contract with you. I'm going to take an oath and I'm going to make sure that it's a guarantee. But I thought whenever God said something, that's a guarantee. And so I had to kind of wrestle this out in my mind, and I wanted to look at just a few things. So why does the preacher do this? Why does he take us back to the the promise of God, the patience of Abraham, and the oath that he swore? Well, I believe there's a few reasons for that. Number one, I believe that past examples are not for us to admire, but for us to presently put into practice. Here's what I mean by that. 
As I go back in uh, in the Bible and as I start to take a look at the Old Testament and the things that are going on in uh, the Old Testament, for example, here in the book of Hebrews, he takes us back to Abraham and he gives us this past example. We got to be careful when we see these past examples, especially by the time we make it to chapter 11 of Hebrews, we're going to see a lot of examples of faith. And here's what we tend to do. We look back at Abraham and say, what great faith. I'm not faithful like Abraham is. What great faith. No wonder he experienced the promises of God. No wonder he was able to to see the promises come to reality. No wonder he was able... Well, he had great faith, and we just think to about, oh, how wonderful of a person Abraham was. I wish I could be like Abraham. That's not why God gives us the Old Testament examples. The other thing that we sometimes do is we look back at these examples and we say, wow, look at how God blessed Abraham. And we focus on the how God did some great and mighty things for Abraham. Can I tell you that too, my friend, is not the reason that God gives us these examples. He gives us these examples so that we would learn to put into practice today what they put into practice yesterday. You see, it's not about Abraham's faith. It's about the faith in whom he placed it. It's about the one that he placed his faith in. It's about the one who fulfilled the promises. That's what it was about. And so the writer of Hebrews is taking us back to Abraham, and he's saying, do you see the promise that God made? Do you see how he how Abraham patiently awaited for it? And did you see what happened? God did it. That's the emphasis. The patiently awaiting is just leading up to God did it. God did it. I want us to kind of get another idea in mind as to why the preacher does this. I believe that he does this to put us in mind of the hope we have in an unchanging God. Notice verse 17. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. So what was God willing to do? He was willing more abundantly to show us he never changes. God's trying to put it on display for us so that we we have faith. Yeah, I don't know about you, but there's been many times where some things made me nervous. And uh you know, have you ever uh, sat down to a child's attempt at preparing a meal for you? My little sister-in-law, when Sarah and I were first dating and engaged, and I would go visit, and she was five, four, and I would come and I'd sit down at the table and I'd be talking, and, and she would prepare me a meal. I ate everything that child made for me. Have you ever had a pepper and butter sandwich? I'm not talking peppers that dice. I'm talking just the pepper out of the salt shaker, pepper shaker. Pepper, butter, bread, slap it together, here you go. 
I've had sprinkle sandwiches. Yeah. You get the sprinkles that you get on, on ice cream. Let me just tell you, when you add salt, it doesn't taste that great. <laughs> sprinkles are great, but when mixing a little bit of salt with it there. You just, and so there's this trepidation that would, uh, that would have come across me whenever a plate would be set before me. I'm going to pray to bless this twice. <laughs> right? You see, there's, there are times where we have those kind of feelings when we sit down. But then one of the first things that my wife ever did when we were first dating was she made chicken pot pie and cheesecake. She'd never seen anyone eat an entire chicken pot pie and an entire cheesecake in one sitting. And she witnessed it. And so whenever my wife puts something before me, there's no fear and trepidation. There's just, (laughs) it's going to be good. Because I have had her cooking many, many times through the years, and it's never left me wanting. It's left her wanting. She has a different, she has more of a refined palate than I do, I guess. Me, I eat whatever she places before me, and it's good. Every meal is better than the last. I've got no problem. I just dig in. The record makes sure in my mind, there's no doubt in my mind, It's never killed me before. It's not going to kill me today. It's one of the reasons probably why it doesn't bother me to eat anything from anywhere. Some people are like, oh, I could never go to this country and eat their food. I think they're still walking around. It's not killed them yet. I ain't no better. But you see, we need to realize just how wonderful God is. So how does the preacher do this? Well, with an example, if you want to put a, uh, put a note card or something in Hebrews chapter 6, we'll come back to that. But go to Genesis chapter number 12 with me. Genesis chapter 12, and let's take a look at exactly what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. We're going to move through the book of Genesis here and the story of Abraham briefly. Notice chapter number 12, verse number 1 with me, if you would. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of the country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 years old when he, had, when he departed out of Haran. Now I want you to realize something and note, if you make notes or if you mark in your Bible or anything, note the fact that Abraham was 75 years old. 75 years old. And God makes him a promise that he is going to, he is going to make him a father of many nations. Any 75 year olds in here today that are looking forward to being a dad again? My wife and I are in our 40s and we're looking forward to that being over. Well, I'm in my 40s. She is not. She's still 21. But I want you to realize something here. Abraham at 75 years old 
took God at his word. 75, you're going to be a dad. Your wife's going to be a mom. Jump over to chapter number 15 with me, if you would. Chapter number 15, look at verse number 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth uh, abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if you be able to number them. And he said unto them, so shall thy seed be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Note what's taking place here. Abram, he believes God at 75. He's going on about his merry way and still no child, still no child, still no child. I'm sure a 75-year-old, okay, I believe you, God. There's nothing that's too hard for God. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust you. By the time you're 85 years old and you still have no child, you're probably going to start wondering, maybe God meant this servant of mine that has a kid. And God said, no, 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 no. It's going to be one that actually comes from you. Jump over to chapter number 17. Look at the first first five verses of chapter number 17. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine... The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the, the Lord, uh, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abram, for a father of many nations has have I made thee? I want you to notice the verbiage that is there. He doesn't say, I will make thee. It's already done. You see, God's timeline is not like yours and mine. God is outside of time. He sees yesterday. He sees tomorrow. He sees today at the same time. It's like, yeah, I've already done it. It's done. To, if I say I'm going to do it, you can just count it as if it's past tense. At 99, that's 24 years that have gone by. Again, 75, you're going to make me a father? Awesome, I think. Let me talk to Sarah about that. Not sure how she's going to feel. 85 years old, comes along, and uh, still not a kid. 90 comes along, still no kid. 95 comes along, still no kid. 99. Um, did you forget? Drop down a little bit further in chapter 17. Look at verse 17. Actually, look at verse 16. I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, king 
of kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. You see, we remember that Sarah laughs, right? You remember that from a little bit later over in chapter number 18, verses 11 through 12. We remember Sarah laughs, but we forget that Abraham laughed. The Bible says it was so audacious to him, he fell on his face and laughed. (laughs) Are you nuts? You're crazy. I'm 99. I love my wife, but she ain't no spring chicken, God. Right? I want you to put yourself in Abraham's position. Surely I'm too old for God to fulfill this promise. But I want you to notice the patient awaiting of God's fulfillment. You see, God's promises are guarantees. When God says he will do it, you can take it to the bank. There is no doubt that is justified when God says he will do something. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't believe Abraham had a perfect faith. Did you notice what was going on with Abraham? I mean, he doubted, he doubted, he doubted, he doubted. Even him and his wife decided to bring in another person. Well, let's just see if we can take it into our own hands, take matters into our own hands. And here we have Hagar, and now we've got a world of problems because his faith wasn't perfect, but he didn't give up. Think about that for a minute. God tells you, I'm going to give you a child of your old age. At 75 years old, 85 years old comes along, are you still going to hold on? 90 comes along, you still going to hold on? 95 comes along, you still going to hold on to that faith? 99. And then the next year comes along. And a bouncing baby boy. God's promises are sure. The preacher points to Abraham here, not to admire, but to imitate. You see, Abraham trusted in the faithfulness of God much more than in his own mind. He trusted in the faithfulness of God. You see, the preacher points to this so that you and I would see the view of God and have that become our view of God as well. Too many make too big of a deal of Abraham. We either elevate him or we criticize him. Both ways, we're focusing on the wrong person. You know, oh, look at how wonderful Abraham was. And then you got another group of people going, he was an evil person. Focus is on the wrong place. Our focus needs to be on the God of Abraham. That's the beautiful thing about uh, the transparency. Have you ever noticed, uh, um, you're here in, in Genesis, just, just look with me if you would at uh, chapter number 18, 18. I want you to see this in verse number 11 says, uh, now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. 
Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have, my, have pleasure, my Lord being old also? Now, I want you to see the transparency of the Word of God. Many people, they, they look at this kind of stuff, and they say, Oh, oh, that's shameful. See, the Bible condones this type of lifestyle. No, no, no. Look at, look at how transparent it is. Verse number uh, 13, And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, she, uh, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At, at the, the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied. Uh, I didn't laugh. How many times have you gone to your kid and you said, uh, did, why did you? I didn't do that. I love the beauty of the word of God. I can see myself in Sarah so much. She says, why did you laugh? I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. I, didn't laugh. I, uh, I coughed. See, the Word of God, it lets it be seen, the true nature of man. When we see the true nature of man, <laughs> it puts a magnifying glass on the true nature of God. The child that came to Abraham and Sarah was not a result of their faith. It was not a result of their work. It was not a result of their effort. It was not a result of anything that Abraham did. It was a result of what God was going to do. And God said, I will do this. And he did do it. That's the promise of God. And that's where our hope needs to be anchored. Coleridge says in speaking about the word of God, he says, the word of God speaks to man, and therefore it speaks the language of men. Now, I want you to keep this in mind. Whenever you look at the Word of God, whenever you're reading and you're coming across some difficult things, I want you to catch what is being said. Go with me now to Genesis chapter number 22. Now, we get the birth of Isaac at chapter number 21. And then chapter number 22, something interesting happens. Verse number 1, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Seventy-five years old, given a promise of God. Twenty-five years later, promises finally come to fruition. Shortly thereafter, God says, take him up an offering as a burnt sacrifice. Now, the Bible uses an interesting word here, tempt. It simply means to put to the test. To put to the test. Drop down, we know the story. Abraham does as he's told. He takes his child, ties him up, lays him on the altars, ready to bring a sacrifice. Look at verse number 9. 
And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. You remember the verse, the first part of this chapter and God saying Abraham and he says, here I am. And then God says, okay, I want you to go kill your son. Now here he is getting ready to do it. And the knife is about to come down. He hears Abraham, Abraham, what now? Right? Think of the test that was being put to him. That's how I would have responded. What more do you want from me? What does Abraham say? Here am I. Look at verse 12. He says, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. You see, God was not ignorant or curious if Abraham had faith. This was not a curiosity to God. He was not wondering what Abraham would do. He knew. But he uses the term, now I know. That term can literally be translated, have known, or I have made it evident. God wasn't standing off to the side going, I wonder what will happen if we tell him to kill his son. Rather, he was looking and saying, he needs to see. And the rest of the world, why would people, why would God have Abraham do this? Because God knew that one day in August of 2021, a fat, bald-headed fellow with goofy look on his face was going to be presenting a message to you about the goodness and faithfulness of God. And so thousands of years ago, God set the example for you to follow. Abraham knew what we need to learn. (laughs) God is faithful. He told me when I was 75 I was going to have a kid. took 25 years for it to come to fruition, but it finally came to fruition. I trust him. And I, he's a man of his word. And so if I do this, I believe God will take care of it. So why would God make an oath? Let's finish this up going back to Hebrews Again, God's word speaks to man and uses what will speak to men best in order to convey truth. Jesus used parables to explain everyday examples, to explain God's truth. God wanted there to be no doubt. And so it says, for when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, verse 13, He swore by himself. 
then you drop down to verse number 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Why do men swear oaths? We say things like, I promise or I swear. You know, if you go buy something today and you're, you're going to take out a line of credit or what have you, you got to sign the dotted line, right? And, and, and it, <laughs> why do we do that? Because men are evil. Mankind looks for a way out. That's the natural way. And so oftentimes we thrust this on God. We need some kind of guarantee And so many people, they go down this road. God said, I am your guarantee. You see, God's word is settled. When he says he will do something, it should be completely evident. You see, God gave his own name as collateral. For God to break his promise, he would have to dishonor himself. And that, my friend, will never happen. But it also says just not by the two immutable things in which is it impossible for God to lie. You see, the preacher shamed immaturity. Then he warned against apostasy. Then he affirmed their evidence. But then now he goes into supplying a hope that is steadfast and sure. You see, our hope is not in our ability to keep up our end of the bargain any more than it was Abraham's ability to maintain a certain lifestyle for God to finally fulfill his promise. Our hope is not in our own abilities. It is in his. Our hope is in Jesus' finished work, and we have Abraham as an example. You see, the Bible tells us that God cannot lie. God hates lying. For God to be guilty of lying means that he would have to hate himself. My friend, this is not going to happen. And we have a more sure word, God's word. I don't need a contract, but he gave one. So let me ask you, where's your hope today? Is your hope in your memory of the past promises that you have made to God? If your hope is found in past memories of promises that you've made to God, what if... Well, I mean, how many times have we done that? Lord, if you do this, then I'll, I'll, I'll never miss a church service. Till my nephew's birthday, at least. God, if you'll do this, I'll read my Bible every day. Unless I wake up late for work. If my hope is built on the promises that I have made, I'm on some shaky ground. Where's your hope? Is it in your ability to be holy? I hope it's not. I hope it's not in my ability to be holy because I'm here to tell you, my friend, I don't have a very good track record of being holy. Is it in your uh, your attendance or maybe your tithing record? You know, tithing records fluctuate. Attendance records fluctuate. If that's where your hope is found, 
shaky ground on a good day? Where's your hope? The hymn writer said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. If you're standing on anything other than Jesus Christ, my friend, you're standing on shaky ground. Verse 19 says, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. What hope? Verse 20 tells us, The forerunner is for us entered. Jesus. Jesus is our hope. Are you trusting in Jesus today? Or are you trusting in what you can do? What special gift you may have? Maybe you're trusting in your past. Trust in Him. Your hope will be sure. Only God is unchanging. Only God cannot lie. And that's where our hope needs to be found. Father, I pray, Lord, that if there's any here today that they have placed their hope into some sort of shaky ground, that today would be the day that they remove their focus from that idol and place it on you that your promise of being able to approach the Father through the shed blood of Jesus Christ is sure. And it's not Jesus and my attendance, or Jesus and my actions, or Jesus and... It's just Jesus. Father, I pray that if there's any here today that they do know you as Savior, but maybe for some reason they've allowed themselves to become lazy. The Father, they would look back and they would see those who have gone before us and they have seen the promises of God. They have patiently, faithfully waited and received the promises of God. Let us look back to them and imitate that faith. Not their actions but imitate the faith that they had in the God who does not change. Thank you for hope. Thank you for your son. And thank you for your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.